Good evening. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. Thanks so much for joining us and wishing everyone happy holidays. Hope your life is filled with some cheer. We could all use some of that. These kind of unpredictable times. I'm Carol Murphy, your host, and Daniel Hogan is in the studio. Today, our guest is Erinch Sahan, and he's with Donut Economics Action Lab. I can't wait <laughs> to hear from Erinch and what they're up to there. I love the name. If you'd like to contact us, you can get a hold of us at uh, heartstockradio at gmail.com. This is Heartstock. In just a moment, we'll be back with Erinch Sahan. Welcome, and thanks for tuning in and listening. This is Heartstock Radio. Today, our guest is Erinch Sahan of Donut Economics Action Lab. Hi, Erinch. Hello, Carol. Wonderful to join you. And you're speaking with us from the UK, is that right? Yes, I'm currently sitting uh, under some grey clouds in Oxford in England. (laughs) It's snowing here, or at least we did get some uh, fluffy white stuff last night. And that makes us pretty excited, considering it's Christmas in Montana. Just wondering, what is Donut Economics Action Lab? And what kind of exciting stuff are you doing there? It it sounds fun. Yeah, it is, um, and and hopefully it it sort of it makes sense as as I explain this to your to your listeners, Carol. But essentially, what we're doing is working with others to try to transform our economies to meet the needs of all the people on our planet within the boundaries of our living planet. Um, and to do this, basically, we we thought, well, there's a there's a new way of thinking about economics, and it comes from the book of Kate Rayworth, who is the founder, the co-founder of Donut Economics Action Lab, and an author and researcher, an economist who thought of donut economics as a compass for human prosperity for the 21st century, and uh, essentially it consists of two concentric rings: so a social foundation, which is to ensure that no one is left behind on life's essentials and an ecological ceiling to ensure that humanity does not collectively overshoot the planetary boundaries that protect Earth's life-supporting systems. So between these two concentric circles, the planetary boundaries on the outside and the social foundations on the inside, between these two uh, uh, boundaries lies a donut-shaped space that is both ecologically safe and socially just. And and that's where the donut is. That's where donut economics is trying to uh, shift our economics, our societies, and our our ways of doing business into that that reality. And how did you become involved with donut economics? And what led you to take this on? I mean, this is no small undertaking, but very, very important in, in our times. How'd you get involved? Yeah, I mean, Donut Economics has been on my radar for the best part of 10 years now. I, I 
worked with Kate Rayworth, who's the author of the book and the co-founder when we were both at the international NGO uh, Oxfam, and we worked in various sort of economic and business spheres uh, over 10 years ago there together. And uh, and since I've done a few other things, trying to transform business, worked at the World Fair Trade Organization as the chief executive and, and, and uh, have started various initiatives at Oxfam. But all along, I kept in touch with Donut Economics and and the direction it was going and, and what I saw is that um, you know pardon the pun but it's a sticky concept donuts are sticky people people remember that people remember the, the concentric circles they remember the the sort of obvious yet profound nature of framing the world and our economic future in that way of of thinking about planetary boundaries and the social foundations in that way in a in a visualized way and i saw that it was really taking off and what we've seen is you know everywhere from you know the kingdom of bhutan to the pope to you know various un agencies and and you know the cities and mayors have have taken to this as as a little bit of a, a, a framework, a compass for human prosperity that can be the, the foundations of their future, of the way they plan their future and, and the vision for the kind of economy they're trying to create. So when when looked at it through that lens, what we saw is that it was it was really reaching decision makers, but also reaching a new generation of economists, of, of citizens, of, of activists that were seeing the need for a much more holistic way to transform our economies. And for a long time, the question's been around, what does this mean for business? How does business need to transform to realize a world where you know we meet the needs of everybody within the the means of our living planet and uh, and the more loud that question got in my head, the more I realized I've, I've got to go over and figure this out. I, I need to work with Kate and and her team at the Action Lab to figure out what do we do with business because the vast majority of our economies are populated by business activities and business decisions and. Unless we transform that into the right direction of travel, a lot of the rest won't move to where we need it to go. Mm-hmm. Was there an event in your life or something that brought this into your mind? What was the impetus in your life for this line of work? Yeah, I mean, I think it's been brewing for a long time. I come from a you know a family of, uh, of farmers, smallholder farmers in Turkey. Um, you know, my my grandfather from my grandparents, my father's side, you know, barely knew to re- how to read and write. They were, you know, li- living uh, in a, in a very self subsistence way uh, in in Turkey, where I'm originally from, and and I saw a lot of that. In- my family saw a lot of that in my heritage that, you know, the economy isn't quite right. It, it is leaving a lot of people behind. And the promise of what the economics hasn't realized in the way it needed to. And and over time, I mean, I worked in business for a long time and I worked in law for a little bit. And I was sort of in and around the business world from very, with various capacities. Something just didn't seem right. And in, it was back in 2008 that I was working at Procter & Gamble, one of the largest companies in the world, working in one of the big brand teams there. And I decided to use my annual leave, my you know two years worth of annual leave that I built up to, to go to Africa, to go to Ghana and live and work with Liberian refugees. And I just felt like I, I need to question what I was doing, what I could do differently. And 
living and working with Liberian refugees who'd been there for so long, who'd been stuck in this very difficult situation, I started feeling more useful. I you know, worked on microfinance. I worked as a teacher in the local school, you know, supported various sort of NGOs and organizations that were in and around the refugee camp. And, and I realized, actually, this is the direction of traveling to go. I need to think about how I can have more direct impact on people's lives around the world. And, and based on that, I, I ended up moving into the aid and development sphere, which quickly threw up the question of what's the role of business if we're going to make sure people can rise out of poverty and they can live dignified lives. And, and that question stuck with me. And as this 21st century has rolled on the last 10, 12 years, the ecological concerns have become bigger and bigger and bigger and and that sort of come into my reality as well uh, working on you know very entrenched poverty for over a decade but also working on you know issues of ecological concern has naturally kind of brought me into a perspective of right what how do we get inside the donut and what is what does business look like in that reality and how long were you in Ghana for total? And why were there so many Liberian refugees there? Yeah, it was it was quite a short stint. I was, it was just over a month. But but what I noticed when I was there was that people had fled the Liberian conflict over a decade ago. I think there were about 40,000 refugees from Liberia living in Ghana at the time. And they were a bit stuck because a lot of them would feel like they would be persecuted if they were to go back. It was quite a horrendous and brutal civil war that they had escaped. And a lot of them had been, you know, driven out by, you know, very hostile, violent, you know, forces uh, from all sides of that conflict. And for one reason or another, they didn't feel safe to, to leave the refugee camp. Yet they couldn't settle as well because they were they had the status of refugees, so they were meant to be temporary. They were sort of in this no man's land in terms of their life and their future and not feeling like they could really plan along the term. So they were subsisting, they were treading water in, in Ghana in that refugee camp. And it was very difficult because a lot of the interventions, I mean, the microfinance initiative or the work we're doing with the children to try to help them get an education. It was uncertain how long-term you could think about this stuff. You know, could, can those children go to university if they were particularly gifted and, and, and were able to sit Ghanaian exams? Could the, you know, microfinance initiative support businesses that could be there for longer term and create the livelihood and benefits in those communities? Or, or is this all going to get wrapped up? Is this refugee camp going to be closed next year or the following year? So there was this constant threat of lack of clarity about the long-term and that really sort of, I think, brought home the, the reality of how precarious the world is for so, so many. And there are so many factors that, that operate there, but certainly the, the role of business and economics is profound in helping people like that live dignified lives. Yeah, it seems like two oppositional simultaneous forces at play here. The realities kind of showing all of us on planet Earth that we are connected in the well-being of everyone, affects everyone, underneath this backdrop of more and more them-against-us mindsets and certainly civil wars affecting the well-being of us all. How does Donut Economics offer a solution for the huge challenges that we're faced with? Yeah, I mean, it has it has various takes on it. Firstly, I think it it reminds us that 
A, our planet has boundaries, that we've created economies that are in overshoot of those boundaries, that we are overusing, you know, the the, the land, we're over polluting the air, we're, we're, you know, having an immense impact on biodiversity and on our soils and on our oceans. And there are limits to what this planet can take in terms of that kind of activity, much of which is economic activity. And it also reminds us of the second thing, which is that we are all equal and we all on this earth have a right to the resources and the possibilities that our amazing living planet provides us. And when we take those two principles into account, that, look, we're all equal, we have the same right to everything and we are all part of a system that is also pushing beyond the boundaries of our planet then it creates a very different paradigm for what our goals should be on this and it and you know it has huge implications including why do we have this goal of endless gdp growth for instance surely it's about human thriving it's about human flourishing it's about how we're able to live in balance with with our earth so that we can continue to take lives on it that are thriving well into the future. So yeah, overall, I think what it does is it reminds us of that bigger picture goal that's quite difficult to disagree with. Of course, our planet does have limits. And, and of course, you know, if person A is using way too much of our ability to emit carbon or way too much of the soil or other things and other people as a result have much less of an ability to do that, then that's a problem. Then that's something that, that needs to be addressed. And, and I think it throws up really big questions about the way we remake our economies for the 21st century and for the challenges of the 21st century in a way that brings more people along with it because it's based on statements of fact as the beginning point and statements of fact that are pretty hard to refute. We're going to take our midway point break and in just a moment we will be right back and dig into the nuts and bolts, so to speak, more on Donut Economics. This is Heartstock. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. We'll be right back. This is Heartstock Radio. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. And today we are speaking with Erinch Sahan, talking about Donut economics. You mentioned, Erinch, that we need to bring more of the planet's population along with us. How does donut economics suggest that we can do that? Well, I mean, firstly, we try to join the movement rather than be the movement. So there are so many movements, so many grassroots attempts, initiatives to try to make our economies function better for both us as humans as well as a planet that we rely on. So I think first is we don't need necessarily a, a, a meta movement that is hierarchical, but instead we have this decentralized approach where we create we create tools, we create openings and communities. For instance, on our on our website donuteconomics.org, uh, people are joining to uh, share information and, and it's all 
free for people to create tools, to create learning, to share insights, to, to you know, support each other around the world. The second thing is a lot of the action is happening at a local level, Carol, which is really heartening because everything from national donuts and national attempts to try to change and improve policies and mobilize people to try to to be a voice for that change. It's also happening at city level. It's happening in towns. It's also happening at neighborhood level. In places like in, in Birmingham in, in the UK, there are attempts for neighborhoods to get together to map out what their impact is within that donor and how they as a neighborhood can take action and can take steps. So it's trying to do two very important things at the same time. It's trying to give very local, pragmatic real life things that people can do as well as keeping that goal of the bigger picture and keeping the reality of the bigger picture going not blurring it not saying look that that challenge of climate change is too big for us to uh, do anything about so let's just you know switch our lights off a little bit more here and there it's not saying that it's saying actually our actions at a local level also need to be proportionate to the challenge of the global and those two conversations happening in unison is, is something, I think, refreshing and, and real that people are tapping into. And as a result, it's just happening in a very organic way, everywhere from you know, Melbourne and across Latin America to in Canada and the US to across Europe and cities like Amsterdam and Copenhagen and Berlin have taken on the donut as a you know, central organizing principle among many groups that are working there. And of course, in the UK and in South Africa, it sparked something. People are reading the book, Donut Economics, um, Seven Ways to Think Like a 21st Century Economist, and they're being inspired by it. And they're taking action locally. It's not prescriptive. We don't tell them to do A or B. What we try to do as a as an action lab to create tools, to create stories, to create connections, to try to just spark and catalyze things and give, give a little leg up here and there where possible, but mostly to try to make these ideas open and accessible to the extent possible. Can you maybe give us some examples of success stories, things that folks are doing on a local level that contribute to this global transformation of business? Yeah, I mean, a, a lot of what I've talked about so far has been at a more general level about what's going on in terms of economics and the way that new, this new economic paradigm and a, and a concept, the compass for human prosperity is being um, promoted and spread around the world. But in terms of the business world, which is the area that I work on, it's it's a very new area for us that we're opening up. At the moment. We're, we're, we're working with various pioneering businesses to figure out what that transformation, that design transformation of business needs to be in. And this is actually a little bit of a, a new perspective because for so long the business world has wanted to do just immediate things like the current business world, it is what it is. Let's see how we become less bad, how we <laughs> reduce our impact a little bit. Yeah. And, and now I think what we're trying to spark is a conversation around the des very design of business. How do we make the business world itself structured in a way that is as 
regenerative and distributive as possible. And, and that's a very new conversation. So how do, how do we set up boards? How do we set up ownership? How do we set up financing of businesses? So all of those are pushing in towards the direction of creating the businesses we, we need that are regenerative and distributive. And those two words, regenerative and distributive, are probably worth unpacking at some point as well because they're very central to that vision. Indeed. And, you know, does the current paradigm or design when it comes to, say, B corporations or social entrepreneurship, just kind of shifting the focus slightly from solely looking at profits to benefit, is that sufficient or is it is it more involved than that? I mean, this is, yeah, like you said, we need we need some unpacking here. How do we how do we do this for goodness sakes? Yeah, I mean, I, a lot of these these concepts have have taken important steps to to open up the possibilities of what business can be. Social enterprise, the cooperative model goes back centuries. We've got various modes of social enterprise. More recently, the B Corp movements also try to take a, a bit more of a balanced approach. And among those communities, you know, there are some amazing, amazing businesses and individuals that are pioneering the kind of things we need. You know, th- th- there are there are some B Corps that are absolutely, you know, getting it right. There are, there are many, many cooperative social enterprises, et cetera, that are doing this. But I think what we're trying to get to is a point where we're more deliberate about opening this up as an area of innovation, of saying, well, actually, guys, let's, a lot of this is happening through, you know, certifications and, and product labels and, and PR, et cetera, which means that the concepts that are coming out have an interest to promote themselves. And that's fantastic. That that's absolutely necessary. But separately to that, we also need to to sort of raise our game across the board and also build more diversity around what's possible. Build more diversity around the kinds of business models that we might need to create that maybe haven't been invented yet, that aren't even, you know, thought of by any of those movements or ideas yet. And that's going to require a lot bigger thinking that is maybe trying to bring some of those concepts together, trying to bring some big minds together, but also being bold enough to say we probably haven't got what's needed yet. I mean, we don't know how do we represent Mother Nature in a business. It can't sit in the board. You know, who is the, the rightful representative of, of ecological and planetary boundaries on within a company? You know, how do we make sure that Profits are reinvested in a way that is creating as much benefit as possible for the people that are impacted and for our planet. All of these, they haven't quite been cracked by any of the models that, that I've mentioned so far. So, uh, But what we are seeing is individual businesses doing it. We don't have that meta framework that creates it yet or, or is sparking the, the great innovations that, that are needed yet. So I think there, there, is, there is hope and I think what those movements have done have opened up the realm of going beyond just making more money is the only real reason business exists. And and I think that's what gives us hope that we can we can do more that in a more innovative and a broader way than, than even currently is done. In that model of profits being the sole purpose of business, it's hard to rip that from the hands of those clutching onto it with all their might. <laughs> 
Any suggestions as to how we as individuals, you know, working locally, because it's it sounds like that's your model that we're going to create global change by changing what we do locally. How can we change the minds of those who seem to be very, very determined to hold on to this model, uh, the old model of business? Well, I think one thing we, we need to get better at as all of those involved in trying to create the alternative, trying to create the models of the future, is to talk about the structural design, organizational design aspects of our businesses. Talk about its, its relationship to money and to finance and how it is different than the mainstream model where an investor might come in and expect huge returns as quickly as possible, which massively limits the ability of the business to, for instance, you know, it reinvests into its social and ecological benefits or to just move in a direction that is part of the founder's vision, for instance. Talk about that. Like what, you know, it's so difficult to, um, to even unpack some of these things, even with the big, you know, successful businesses that can roll off our, the tip of our tongues, you know, what's its relationship to finance? What's its ownership model? Who owns it in what way? And how is it, how is the ownership structured to actually act to reinforce those social and ecological goals? You know, is it owned in a way where, you know, shares have got different classes and the purpose share, for instance, that's held by certain individuals or foundations that keep, keep the business on track is owned in a way like the exit to community people are doing. It's, it's an amazing community linked to Zebras Unite that is looking at different ways of converting businesses into, into community ownership. Is it owned in a worker-owned way? Is it owned in, a, in some sort of a hybrid of all these different models that are out there? You know, talk about what happens to the profits. Talk about what happens on, in the boardroom. Who has a seat? Who doesn't have a seat? And be honest about what, what are the changes that, that those businesses might want to try to instill. Because until we make this conversation truly about the structural transformations necessary in business, we're going to just tread water and make very incremental small changes within the realm of what's currently possible in the business world. So Mm -hmm. we need all of those models to be much more loud and proud about the fact that, look, I've set this thing up to have a very different structure of power, to channel the money differently, to have a different relationship with finance, to have a different kind of boardroom, to have different purpose altogether that is not just something that's wordsmithed on a page, but something that truly is into the structures of the business and I've networked it in a way where it's locked in. I've locked all this great stuff in. It doesn't rely on the benevolence of the owner that can make it a B Corp one year or not one the following year. It doesn't require me to have dominance of a board and to bring my own personal ethics into every decision. But actually, all those considerations are now part of the business. They're, they're organically living and breathing in that in that business and there are so many examples i mean from el puente in germany to menoso uruguay to you know the collective jackson in the u.s where you know amazing cooperatives are happening to bronx and and other places in the u.s where there's all sorts of work your ownership conversions going on there's a lot of this stuff going on but it's the structural bits that is where the conversation needs to go and how might our listeners find you DonutEconomics.org uh, is our website. So it's spelt in the British way, D-O-U-G-H, 
N-U-T, economics.org. And they could see all sorts of things in there, including how to join the platform, the community, and all the tools that are available on there as well. Thank you, Erin, so much for being on Heartstock and the work that you're doing. Uh, this is huge undertaking. Appreciate it very much. Thank you, Carol. It was a pleasure. And uh, this is Heartstock. I'm your host, Carol Murphy. We shall be back next week. We'll see you then. Peace. Heartstock Radio is a production of KBMF 102.5 Butte America Radio. Hear our programs every Friday at 5 p.m. Mountain Standard Time via live stream at butteamericaradio.org. As I went walking, I saw a sign there, and on the sign it said, No trespassing, but on the other side.